0: From the Staples Center, like an on-site hello, how are you, like hangout podcast with Ben Golliver of the Washington Post here on Locked On NBA. Uh, we just finished watching Jazz Clippers. We're going to touch on the Kyrie story of the day, the incredible three-point shooting of the Rockets, the loss by the Rockets. Uh, we'll touch on what's going on with the Warriors and their yet another offensive explosion and all of that. Uh, in a busy, busy night of the NBA and then some big topics, trade rumors, things of that nature. Um, Quick thoughts on what you just saw with Jazz Clippers.
1: Well, first of all, welcome to Los Angeles. It's good to have you here in person. It's always fun and different to do it like this. Um, There was a lot to take away. I mean, the Clippers are really reeling. I know Doc Rivers is already in the postgame trashing his team's defense, Um, but I felt like Utah dominated them on both sides. And if you threw out the records, throughout everything you just said which one of these two teams is a playoff team which one's going to be a lottery team there's no question i mean utah is clearly solidifying itself in that playoff picture and i think if i'm a clippers fan i'm starting to get really really nervous that this slide could start to you know really continue and i'm almost wondering and maybe this is some la myopia from me but is it going to be lakers clippers for that eighth uh, playoff spot i mean they both have really long road trips coming up they both have been playing really choppy uneven basketball And we don't know when LeBron's coming back yet. So I guess my takeaway is uh, am I going to be traveling for the first round of the playoffs? Or am I going to get to see any home games here in L.A.?
0: Uh, Interesting. I mean, it depends a little bit whether we think Minnesota can recover from last night, which is one of those games you wonder if it has lingering impact that they just didn't fight as a group getting just whooped by Jimmy Butler. Uh, We're recording this Wednesday night with – so referencing Tuesday night's game. Uh, I – have my opinion on this I'm pretty outlandish I think in people's mind I actually think I'm told like I think Rudy Gobert's a top 10 player in the league and everyone thinks I'm crazy because they always ask me like well who are you taking off and I'm like I don't even have to worry about who I'm, t- I'm so <laughs> certain that he's in the top 10 I'm not even worrying about like who the- it's not one it's to me he's like the seventh best player his impact on the game tonight for portions of the game the Clippers were shooting 50 percent when he was off the floor and 32 percent when he was on the floor at like the eight minute mark of the fourth quarter
1: Well, you and I had talked about him previously, so I made a point to kind of watch his game. And look, it's not as fun when you're not the most graceful guy and your highlight skill is dunking right. But some of his defensive highlight plays are the kind that just kind of make me chuckle and smile. I'm not sure if you remember the the play where Avery Bradley drives through the middle. He gets the contact on his body, so he thinks he's going to be able to fool Gobert by throwing the uh, alley-oop pass back up over his head. And Montrezl Harrell is just waiting there to dunk it. I mean, this is a play they run constantly. It always works. Gobert not only doesn't foul on the bump; he maintains his body control. He uses his incredibly long arms to snatch the ball out of the air, and Utah's going the other way on the break, just you know, lights out. And that's just one play out of probably five to ten that you could put together of a pretty nice highlight reel from his game tonight. Uh, The top ten conversation is interesting because you know, if you're going just on pure impact and and pure contribution to wins, uh, he's got a real case. I mean, I my question to you is: Do you think he's also? a top 10 playoff player or are you basing this on top 10 regular season overall total impact So
0: I'm, I think I feel very comfortable on the first one uh, or on the second one Like his, I mean I don't, I'm not trying to diss the Jazz roster but like yeah. if you look at the Jazz roster it doesn't make sense that they were one of the four final teams in the Western Conference each of the last two years and so something has to be a lot better than you realize for that to be the case this, truly this is what happened to me last year is when the Jazz got hot it didn't make sense to me. And so I had to recalibrate everything I thought about the game. And one of the main things was, I did this huge research project that defense, a good defensive game as a team, helps your chance to win just as much as a good offensive game. So if you hold your opponent under a point of possession, which the Jazz have now done in 13 of their last 70 games, you win 89% of the time. You do the same thing, which is have an offensive game of about 118 or 19. You win 89% of the game. So, yes, now the question on on whether or not he's a defensive player in, in the playoffs, I actually find that narrative a little frustrating to me because he was incredibly important in beating Oklahoma City. Yep. And then he did. they didn't beat Houston. Well, Houston was better than them. And Houston's Houston off- was really good. <laughs> right, and Houston's offense for that series until the final game was actually average to their season or below average. So, I actually don't think he got played off the floor. I think they Got beat by a way better team.
1: Yeah, so, you know, your pet project here is Rudy Standing. I think my pet project is Western Conference elitism, and this is a classic case where he's fighting to even get all-star recognition, right, because he's not going to win it in the fan vote, and now it's like you're you're into this mix where, like, is he going to get in? Obviously, he should be in, but, you know, is he going to get rewarded? It comes down to Utah's record probably, and that sucks. If he was in the Eastern Conference, it's a completely different conversation, and I think people are— you know, now in this you know question of is he in this conversation of the most valuable guys in the East right now? And to me, it's like Giannis 1, B 2, um, and after that you can have a really healthy debate. And I'm wondering, what do you think? I mean, if he was in the Eastern Conference playing against that schedule, sort of in the same, like, captain role leading his team, you know, they're probably a top-four team in the East. Is, actually, is he getting in that conversation where it's like he's a top-three guy in that conference? So
0: they would actually not only be in the East, help them, But Rudy would be so dominant in the East because there's bad offenses. Yeah. Right? So, like, there's a ton of them. (laughs) Right? Like, the only problem, like, Rudy, good offenses can, and good shooting teams like Denver and like Golden State and like James Harden can have, make it so that Rudy has less of an impact. There's almost no teams in the Eastern Conference that can actually do that. So, it, you know, Kawhi in his mid range game did that to Rudy. Uh, in the game in Toronto but there's, that's about it and so absolutely to that point they would be better and they'd be better than just the move to the east and so yeah be great. I,
1: I've had a reverse version of this uh, conversation actually with James Harden because everyone loves to say how much he struggles in the postseason there's no doubt his numbers come back to earth a little bit right but you look at the defenses who have really shut him down and had a lot of success it's like San Antonio when they're the number one defense in the league it's Golden State when they're like the number one defense in the league and you throw him into the eastern conference what his postseason numbers look like obviously the efficiency is going to be skyrocketing uh, and he's going to be looking like a guy who doesn't have this quote-unquote choker label which to me is a little bit unfair so i think both of those guys are getting this distortion effect when it comes to rankings and awards and everything else
0: it's a good point i mean frankly cleveland wasn't very good last year And they won the East. No,
1: and that's the thing, like, LeBron, like, Harden gets compared to this LeBron standard because LeBron can go one-man show and almost keep it competitive with Golden State. That's one of the greatest players of all time. Just because Harden's falling short of that doesn't mean anything. And same thing with Rudy Gobert. I mean, I think people look at that highlight from a few years ago against Golden State, and Steph spins him around in the perimeter, and it's like, well, yeah, you've got a unanimous MVP doing incredible things on the basketball court. There's no real shame in that, uh, but, you know, that winds up sticking with you until you get over the hump, and... No, it's unfair, but I think that's the nature of the beast.
0: All right, let's talk about the Rockets for a second. They lose tonight 145 to 142. They take 73s. Harden scores 58 points. You've got an incredible note on Harden's last two games.
1: Yeah, so he had 57 in the previous game, 58 tonight. The word is that all of his points were unassisted. Of course, he's doing a ton from the free throw line. I think he had 21 free throws tonight. Um, But, I mean, so many of it's step back, three pointers, uh, and, you know, doing things off the dribble. I mean, that is completely insane. He's the only guy in the last 10 years in the NBA to have back to back 50 point games. The last guy to do it before him uh, was Kobe Bryant. And you look back like the last 20 years, the only guys who have done it are Kobe. AI and James Harden. So he's in some pretty crazy uh, categories. Here's another one for you. Do you know he has currently more career 50 point games than Kevin Durant, Carmelo Anthony and Kyrie Irving combined?
0: He's really having Kobe's year. Like, the year that Kobe had the 81 that where he just with. and, I mean, I'm not sure, like, who's better. Like, Austin Rivers is now playing Swoosh Parker. Like <laughs> –
1: Yeah, I mean, they're right there on that same category where, like, their teammates are probably going to be making fun of them once they retire, right? Um, I, here's a question for you. When Chris Paul comes back, how do they balance this? Because it's so unhealthy – for a guy to use as many possessions as he's using. But if he's getting these results, do you really want to tinker with it? Like, don't you almost tell Chris Paul like, hey, you're a role player until Harden exhausts himself?
0: The question to me is whether Chris Paul is good anymore. Oh, oh, uh,
1: I'm not ready to go there quite yet. But I did get actually an email from somebody who said the reason why the Clippers have been in the playoff position uh, to date, and I, we mentioned earlier they may be falling out of that, but it's because they won the Blake Griffin trade and they won the Chris Paul trade. They
0: won them both. By the way, I know it sounds crazy to talk about Chris Paul, like he's, but I, I just want to remind everybody that Chris Paul was drafted in the same draft as Raymond Felton and Darren Williams. Raymond Felton is on Oklahoma City's bench and doesn't play, and Darren Williams is playing golf in Dallas. So the idea that Chris Paul might be done is actually not crazy at all, and he doesn't look good so far this year. It's been
1: rough because the consistency of the health issue is concerning, and to me it's the LeBron injury is the wake-up call there, right? Because now we know that finally LeBron is human. I mean, this has been the longest time he's been out during his entire career by a lot. I mean, it's looking like it's going to stretch – maybe to a full month, which who would have predicted that before the season starts? But if LeBron, the Terminator, is missing this much time and he's never missed time, a guy like Chris Paul, who's been banged up throughout the course of his career, even in his best seasons, you know, all NBA first-team seasons, uh, he was missing games. uh, I suppose we should have anticipated a fallout there.
0: Ben Goliver. Along with us, I'm David Locke. We are at the Staples Center. If you hear the noise in the background, and we'll come back, talk more of the games last night, some more big-picture items as well as we continue on Locked On NBA. Uh, Warriors' last two nights are pretty impressive. Uh, 51 points against the Nuggets. 147 against the Warriors. Steph has nine threes. I don't think he hit any in the fourth quarter, and he had 41. Uh... Was this, I mean, the obvious thing is like, let's make a, let's, should we make as big a deal out of this as we sillyly were making of their struggles? um well
1: i would say that it deserves to be a big deal because of what they did to denver i have a lot of respect for denver i think they've had an incredible season but that they just dismantled denver in denver and to me that was sort of a, a playoff preview and a very rude awakening for what could be there for denver if they're able to sort of advance that far um the other thing is i spent the last couple of days and this is a shameless plug alert uh around the santa cruz warriors uh, golden state's G League by the affiliate. way,
0: this is because he doesn't trust me like Andrew Sharp. So I knew this; it was my next question. I was going to get to it. It was going to be this natural setup, and Gulliver's thinking: I don't oh, know. Locke's pretty selfish. He's a play-by-play guy. He might not remember that I told him this before the game. Those were all very valid thoughts, by the way. But I was going to get there.
1: Well, look, I'm going to get it up. I'm getting my shot up one way or the other. Um, just to see how they handled the Cousins um, comeback, right? And. Just hearing the amount of thought and planning and preparation into every single step of what they did to kind of treat DeMarcus and get him ready to go. I've been kind of halfway skeptical, halfway optimistic about how things are going to go with DeMarcus. But I can guarantee you this. The Warriors' brain trust has put more thought into how they're going to use DeMarcus and make it work and manage his role and sort of get him into this uh, mix than anybody else on the outside. And I would also say I think that they've probably – Prepared themselves mentally, like if it doesn't work, how they're going to approach that because he's coming into an absolute juggernaut. I mean, they're putting up 140, 150. Steph's playing the best basketball of his season right now, and that sets it up perfectly for him to be the fall guy, right? Like, if they don't look good when he plays against the Clippers or he starts to struggle, maybe they drop a game against the Lakers. Everyone's going to race to blame DeMarcus. And I just think that the thought and care that they put into his whole program leads me to believe that they have really uh, prepared themselves for every eventuality
0: here. And I will say this as the play-by-play really announcer. Really? I've said this before. As the play-by-play announcer of a team in the Western Conference, is not nearly as good as the Warriors, but might be the second-best team in the West by the time this is all done. Yep. Well, we. we I can't. It's it's my only say. hope. <laughs> no, I really. I really. You're not alone. You know. They proved last night what I've said this whole time. They're winning the title without DeMarcus Cousins. Like why? They don't need. Like there's this idea that like oh they need to. No, they don't. They would win the title. We we've played them well, they would throttle us in a playoff series. We'd make it hard, but they'd throttle us in a playoff series. They're way better. They'll throttle Denver in a play. They're way better than everyone else. The only hope we have self is that DeMarcus wants to use too many shots. Yeah. And that every time he shoots, Steph's not taking three.
1: And maybe I'm just buying the Kool-Aid here, but uh, or sipping the Kool-Aid, but you know, talking to his brother, I mean Jaleel, who plays for that Santa Cruz Warriors team. He was sort of laying out to me, like, what kind of an opportunity this is for DeMarcus and how much time he sort of had to think about his reputation. He's been away for a long time, and when you're at that stage of your career, you start to realize, like, how quickly it all could slip away, right? I mean, you're invincible when you're an all-NBA center one year, and the next year it's like, oh, man, you're fighting for a mid-level contract and uh, you're just trying to get yourself comfortable back on the court. And basically his brother was was telling me, like, uh, you know, he realizes – the magnitude of this opportunity because if Cousins doesn't screw it up, Every single person who's criticized him uh, to this point will have to give him his due, right? If they win a title, guys like me who have constantly said, look, he's never played in a playoff game, uh, his teams are often better without him, uh, his turnovers offset a lot of his big numbers. And the other questions that you would raise about his overall impact. talking
0: about you or me in those comments?
1: I think you and I and probably a lot of people. I mean, there's a, a good reason to be, like, very healthy skeptical about, uh, you know, his overall impact. But all that stuff goes out of the window if they win the title with him, doesn't it?
0: No. Oh, why not? Because if they would have won the title without him, oh, so so he,
1: he's damned if he does, damned if he doesn't. For you, a little, bit,
0: like okay. a, a little right. bit. I mean, I mean, it depends how he plays and whether. Well, I'm mean, curious. I mean, I'm really. He's never had a usage rate below thirty percent. Like, what's he capable of going to? Yeah, if he comes in and has a usage rate that's appropriate, which in my mind is probably like twelve or thirteen, I'll be really surprised and I'll be impressed. Like those would be the things. And I. The other thing I would just point out though is I've been around a lot of Achilles. He's not going to be very good. Yeah, he's not. It's just like, actually, this is a weird comparison. But Antonio Lang, who's a jazz assistant, former Duke, I'm walking behind him yesterday at practice. I was like, oh, you tore your right Achilles, didn't you? It's been 25 years. You can still tell.
1: No, I mean, there's no doubt they're going to be managing him pretty carefully, I think. Um, Yeah, like I'm not quite as hardliner as you. And I think one other thing that's got me interested is. Like, his decision-making is not always great, but his passing ability is not bad. You know, and if you can get him surrounded by that much talent where the lanes are going to be wide open for him to make plays, whether it's, you know, at the elbow um, or even on the block, like, I think he's going to be able to generate a decent amount of, you know, clean looks and high-quality shots for his teammates. And if he kind of rewires himself that way and realizes, like, I can't be the guy who just backs down and bulls my way to thirty points. I don't have that. I don't have that trust in my body right now. I think he can wind up being a positive impact on offense. Now, your questions about his health and recovery to me defensively are huge because when they're at their best, they're flying around. It's Durant, it's Draymond, it's Clay, it's Iguodala, being super versatile, interchangeable, covering lots of ground. You know, you know, getting into ball handlers, making their lives uncomfortable. And cousins doesn't do any of that, right?
0: I'm running. Clay Thompson's guarding. Who, let's, they're playing. They're playing Denver. Yep. So Clay Thompson is guarding uh, Jamal Murray, and Steph is being hidden on Will Barton. Will, I'm running a. Quick interchange between Will Barton and Jamal Murray into a pick and roll with Jokic and making Demarcus Cousins, Steph Curry guard the pick and roll, and for the first time ever, the Warriors are flawed defensively.
1: Imagine how many coaches in the Western Conference are thinking we're so sick of the Warriors picking on our centers, and it's just going to be the revenge tour during the playoffs. It's like let's go pick on their center.
0: I don't think he'll be able to stay on the floor. Um, by the way, I do think he, before the injury, was the singular most talented player in the NBA. And the comment I've made about him. Is the best statement I can make about his weaknesses is that he should be the only person we're talking about in the MVP conversation every year because he's the most talented or skilled, whatever word you want to use, player on the floor. One thought about Denver: I'm super impressed by Denver, um, I, and I and I've kind of notoriously known for like somehow not loving Denver, uh, which isn't really true. Well, it's the mountain
1: time zone rivalry, I, right?
0: I, I actually think they've been great. Um, I'm a little interested, their numbers are skewed right now because of last night where they allowed a million points, but they were like 19th in league defensively all of a sudden over 10 games, they, um, they've been battling injuries, they have won an inordinate amount of close games, I think they're 19-7 and 7 in clutch games, opponents are shooting 20% against them from three in clutch circumstances, and they now start, their post-All-Star break schedule is brutal. And I'm really curious to watch. They have Chicago and Cleveland coming up at home the next two, so they're going to win. And then they have an interesting stretch. They go to Utah, who will still be shorthanded without their guards, but that may or may not be hurting Utah. It's not clear. And then they play a bunch of games they should probably win, right? Like, they're not, like, loaded team. They're not loaded, but they're just games they should probably win. And I'll be curious to see if they do, because if for some reason they don't and they don't finish the month of January well, what they have coming in late February, March, and April is really legit. And so they cl- they play Utah, then they play Phoenix. They have Philly at home, at Memphis, and at New Orleans. Like you, Memphis and New Orleans games. Like suddenly, if you slip on some of these, and you go into February struggling, like Denver's spot in the West gets really sketchy.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think that they're in position where I'm not too worried about them free falling necessarily. I-, I believe in most of what they've done, but I also think it's completely fair to say, like, other than their health issues. Haven't they had a perfect start to the season so far? And that always makes you nervous whenever you've got a team that's wildly overachieving preseason expectations. And basically nothing has gone wrong besides uh, some injuries. I mean, their chemistry has been fantastic and and everything else like that. I also think the schedule stuff is going to just sort of be like a series of detonations on the Western Conference here over the next month because you've got both the Lakers and the Clippers going on crazy road-heavy stretches. Uh, You've got Denver, like you mentioned. under. Thunder and then the Jazz—it's kind of all starting to finally come back to them, right? So uh, we already know it's crazy, but I think that you know it's possible that like the top nine teams in the Western Conference right now, none of them are in the same seed a month from now. You know what I mean? Wow, don't you think? Like one well, way or Warriors, one way or uh, the, the other. Is it one yet? Oh, that's a good question. But they'll probably still be at one. Okay, they're the exception as always. But you know
0: what's really interesting to me is after forty-five games now. I actually have decided that the league is almost exactly as I thought it was going to be. And and so I thought the only difference is Milwaukee. The only thing I really feel like I've missed on is Milwaukee. I thought Toronto and Golden State were way better than everyone else. I said that Philadelphia and Boston will battle for 4-5 and that Milwaukee and Indiana will be 2-3, which as of right now is true. We'll see if that holds. And I thought that Golden State was way better than everyone else and that I had actually picked Utah as second- at fifty-one wins, like I didn't pick them at second with fifty-seven wins. I picked them at second with fifty-one wins. I don't think they're getting there, but I do think the second team in the Western Conference could have about fifty-two wins.
1: Yeah, it sounds about right. I mean, the 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 cluster is crazy, and I, you know, this is something I looked at last week for a short column. I mean, you know, think about how bad it is for the NBA, and like I know your your Jazz and Utah-centric listeners uh, aren't going to be crying any tear for the Lakers or the Lakers fans, but if. The Lakers finish as the ninth seed. They win 45 games because LeBron comes back. They make a valiant run. Let's say they fall just short. And you've got teams like Charlotte, Brooklyn, Detroit, Orlando, whoever might be in that 8th seed, and all those teams are 41 wins or fewer based on their current track. And you've got this imbalanced playoff scenario where your biggest star in one of your marquee franchises is sitting at home, and you've got these small market teams that have been screwing around for years kind of in that uh, treadmill of mediocrity, or worse and now you've got three completely worthless first round series in the eastern conference and you've got this amazing team or not a really amazing team but an amazing player uh, and certainly a ratings driver at home to me it's like that is a disaster if you're adam silver and i don't know if this issue is just out of loggerheads where it's never going to get resolved but the longer that this goes on and the nba doesn't have a 1 to 16 playoff format the more frustrated i get and the reason i say that You've got players who are working out 12 months a year now. I mean, you know that in in Utah, like Donovan. Is he taking any time off during the summer?
0: No, we probably would like him to take... Well, he had some foot things, but yeah. like, no, the, the, these guys, now you want them to take off.
1: So. so they're going crazy. You've got players who are trying to be executives now who are scheming these super teams, trying to put the super teams together. So they're like, they're thinking three-dimensional chess, right? And meanwhile, you've got the NBA owners who are just like, no, we're just going to leave it how it is. We're not going to try to, you know, put out the best product possible during the playoffs. I just feel like if I was a player, it would drive me crazy because the amount of time that they're putting in on and off the court to kind of you know be confronted with this uh, completely lopsided playoff format, which is driving me nuts.
0: If the NBA playoffs started today, LeBron James, Carl Anthony Towns, Anthony Davis, and Luka Doncic would be out of the playoffs so that James Johnson, Kemba Walker, <laughs> and Spencer Dinwiddie could be in. We'll come back with more of Ben Goliver here on Locked on NBA. Remember to subscribe to Locked On NBA Net on both Twitter and Instagram, and you can tell your smart speaker to play podcast Locked On NBA. Kyrie Irving, a very interesting night, my friend.
1: Crazy. I mean, so I was pretty harsh and critical of of his comments the other night. I mean, to me, when he is putting it all on his younger teammates, uh, that is. Not the right way to approach it. I mean, I think that they've built a lot around him and he needs to understand that responsibility role. He comes out and has, you know, arguably his greatest game of the season, hits a huge three and a nice, you know, home win over Toronto that I think calmed a lot of nerves there in Boston. He has a a career high 18 assists. I could tell you this I never thought I'd see Kyrie Irving with 18 assists in a single game against anybody, let alone sort of a high profile showdown game like that. But after the game, he comes out with this. Extended speech, you know, admitting that he called LeBron James and basically apologized for not really uh, understanding the value of winning when he was younger and not understanding how hard it was to be a leader uh, back in their, you know, shared Cleveland days. He admitted, you know, basically Jalen Brown was right and that he wasn't, uh, Kyrie wasn't empowering his teammates. And he was basically copping to all of these criticisms that have sort of been building up of him uh, over the last two weeks. And I got to say, he was like singing a song that I love to hear. But then in the back of my head, I'm thinking, this is the same guy who was preaching this Earth is Flat stuff for years and still hasn't kind of backtracked from it. Is he a reliable narrator? Can I trust (laughs) him when he's saying this? But I really want to trust
0: him. What do you think?
1: I I don't know. I'm skeptical. Maybe I'm too skeptical for my own good at this point. Uh, I do think if you're Brad Stevens, you're having a nice celebratory. Maybe it's a glass of warm milk tonight. You are so happy because it's a big win. And then compound that with... Kyrie sort of setting everything straight and kind of getting that distraction out of the way, uh, and hopefully, you know, smoothing things over with the guys. Because I don't think Boston's going to get where they want to go, and that's obviously the NBA Finals if they don't have better chemistry and better buy-in from their role guys. And it's awful tough to have that when you've got a player whose best skill is scoring, his best skill is creating for himself, and you know, his probably his third best skill is tough shot making. And that means everybody else is you know often standing around and watching him go. If Kyrie gets more into this playmaking mode, if he is more empowering towards his teammates, yes, those are big ifs, Boston gets really, really dangerous. If he doesn't do those things, I think they're probably
0: out in the second round. year started Kyrie Irving was 100% going back to Boston. What do you think it is now? Man, I
1: maybe I'm naive on that part, but I, I think it's a pretty good setup for him. I mean, he, I think he is really focused on star power and marketing. I think it's pretty obvious with how Hard Nike pushes his shoes. Uh, how consumed he is by by that off court stuff. And Boston's just a great platform. And I'm sure you saw the commercial with him and his dad, you know, shooting in the gym and everything. Um, there aren't a lot of better spots. If I was him, and my choices were Boston versus the New York Knicks versus I don't know whoever else would be in that mix, Boston's got a lot going for it. You know, and, and I would have a hard time walking away from that.
0: I'll just say I'm hearing murmurs. Ooh.
1: Well, what do you think? What, what if you had to call it? Or what's 60, your percentage? 60-40 now. Okay, and where's the forty?
0: 40? 40's him going to New York or somewhere else with Katie.
1: Okay, he's nodding for the listeners at home. He's nodding and smiling. I'm just smirking. <laughs> well, that wouldn't work. I mean, like, I mean, can we can we be the first people to be skeptical of that partnership? I
0: mean, right. uh, what? Is, well, Katie's just unhappy. Yeah. Well, I mean, Katie's just unhappy. Katie's going to be unhappy.
1: It's weird because sometimes guys respect other players. <laughs> Because they they're good at the same things that they are, and they don't realize if you put them together, it wouldn't necessarily mesh. And I think KD has been so complimentary over the years of Kyrie's game because he loves the finishing skills, he loves the one on one scoring, the shot creation, you know, all the pretty stuff, you know, the the Rucker Park stuff that gets us excited, right? Uh, I'm not sure that you're a championship team, even if you have two guys who are what top 20 players. You know, I would say KD is probably top three player at this point um, on the same team with that much overlap.
0: What do the Pelicans do about Anthony Davis? I mean, the murmur in the league is just so strong. Frankly, he's coming here. He's playing for the Lakers. Like, I mean, it's just like it's so, it's as strong as KD to the Warriors was at the same time. They're, they're, here are their three choices. Their three choices are they move him at the deadline. They wait to offer him the Supermax. He says, no, they're screwed. Or they just, like, go past that. You can't go past that moment. Like, those... Or three, they hope that he resigns. But there, they're, like, like what do they do? I mean,
1: to me, if I were them, I would be exploring the trade scenarios. I don't know if you saw the interview that Gail Benson gave, where she basically said, like, look, if he wants to leave, we're not going to stand in his way. I thought that was a very honest moment from her, where it really did not sound like a normal NBA owner who is like deathly terrified of losing their star player. To me, it almost sounded like somebody who sort of resigned and. And just like, eh, you know, it's gonna happen. And it really struck me, her tone, how different it was from like Alvin Gentry or Dell Demps when they're saying, "Look, we're not gonna trade him for Beyonce. He's untouchable." And it just kind of, to me, it kind of it undercut everything they've been trying to say about how he's not, uh, you know. He's not able to be traded. Now, they've been playing a little bit better recently. I think as long as they're in the playoff mix, they're going to probably convince themselves to not do anything until this summer. Uh, But I think one way or another, he will not be a Pelican next season. And I think the most likely outcome is he gets traded this summer. And I would not be racing to trade him for uh, Brandon Ingram, by the way. I mean, if that's the centerpiece player coming back, I would be very nervous about that if I was New Orleans. And they may get to the trade deadline and realize that they don't necessarily have a a better offer at that point than the Lakers package that's built around Ingram and picks or whatever. And it would be very difficult for me to pull the trigger. If I was them, it would just, you know, if I'm Dell Demps, it's like, I'd almost rather be fired than to make that and trade. The
0: Celtics can't make that deal. And there doesn't seem to be a lot of teams that feels though they can re-sign a D that's yeah. now I will point out this. The last three stars, probably not the last three stars, but the come to my mind that have been traded. The old adage was the old, you know, whoever gets the best player wins the trade. The last three have been won by the other side. Sacramento yeah. won the DeMarcus Cousins trade by a lot. The Clippers won both the Chris Paul and the Blake Griffin trades. So maybe let me ask you a Clipper question.
1: I, I, let me just say it'd be very difficult for New Orleans to win an Anthony right. Davis trade,
0: but it, yeah. I think means. You know, Utah certainly didn't win the Gordon Hayward leaving to go to Boston. They got nothing back in return. Like, you've got to that's, – that's the scenario that you – Toronto didn't win Chris Bosch going to Miami. Like, Utah did win the right not to pay Gordon Hayward the max, though.
1: That, that's not nothing. Sorry, I can say that. You can't say no, that. I, <laughs> I mean,
0: I, it's a, no, I mean, like, there's an interesting concept. He's injured – you know, you wonder, like, you would have paid Gordon Hayward the max 100% because he's your guy. Yeah. Would you trade for him now that he has the max? No. Right? Like, that's, right. The, that's the scenario, like, if you ask yourself without the deal, you know, the fact that he left you and all those kind of things.
1: Yeah, I think Gordon Hayward um, has been getting a wide berth in terms of criticism. I haven't read a lot of criticism of Gordon Hayward this year. I mean, I think when you look at his contract compared to his production, like, it's not, I mean, it's not, like, very nice to say, but he's definitely one of the most underperforming players in the league, and there's an obvious reason for it. He was hurt, and we understand that, but I think – if he doesn't step it up, and you look at the other teams at the top of the East who have got some big-time star-level players who are pretty confident are going to be awesome in the playoffs. I mean, Giannis, Kawhi, I think Jimmy Butler and Joel Embiid are going to be stepping up. Even Victor Oladipo in Indiana I think is going to you know, most likely really show out in the postseason. If Hayward's one of these all-star max-level guys, and he's sort of the one guy who's not really doing it on a high level and Boston's shaky at all, I think he's going to be in line for some criticism that maybe he doesn't realize is coming yet because he's been pretty well protected so far. Uh, Maybe I'm getting ahead of myself, but uh, I can just sort of see that lurking on the horizon here.
0: How are you on Russell's season so far?
1: Uh, Which Russell? Westbrook. Yeah, I mean, like, seeing him in – I mean, the the 2010-20 – Lines are just mind-blowing and fascinating. I mean, his shot selection still drives me crazy. It really is a testament to how much he was shooting, that he can shoot so much less and still have such glaring inefficiency. But I think Oklahoma City is one of the better surprise stories to me of this season. I I, I expected it to work better without Carmelo Anthony, um, but the fact that Paul George is able to be ascendant in that role, on that team, in that city – I think you do have to give Russell Westbrook a lot of credit for that because I certainly never saw him being eclipsed by another player this early in his career and being okay with it, and I haven't seen any sign of discord from him at all.
0: It's a really interesting – I mean, he's been terrible efficiency wise and he's increasing his assists which makes his force suddenly as positive. it's really fascinating like i know you've talked about him a lot i've heard you talk about him. i've ta- like it's a, i'm mesmerized right now they've also played this incredibly soft schedule so they've gotten away with all of it but uh, it's interesting i had them as the second best team in the west last year and then they added carmelo and i dropped them and i for i actually think they might be the second best team in the west this year cuz you know with that and and the 20 assist nights make you actually think me more likely than the second best team in the West. It's, it's pretty fascinating.
1: Well, you know, I, I said when they signed him to his uh, extension that they would not make a Western Conference Finals during the, the term of that contract, and I felt 100% good about that last year, and now I'm starting to think, okay, maybe I was a little too harsh. But look, I'm also, you know, if I have to pick head-to-head, Houston's healthy versus Oklahoma
0: City healthy in the
1: postseason, I still go Houston by a pretty comfortable margin. What about you?
0: Um... I probably do, too, and I think a good coach gets Oklahoma City in the playoffs. I think Atlanta, that Atlanta loss last night shouldn't be ignored. Like, the fact that Atlanta torched their defense is not just that they had a night off. There is there is a way to play Oklahoma City, and certain coaches and personnel can get to it. And if they face a good coach in the playoffs, I think they're in trouble. On that note, Ben Goliver. David Locke from the Staples Center. Catch Anthony and Adam tomorrow. Remember, you can tell your smart speaker to play Locked On NBA, and you can tell your smart speaker to play whatever your favorite team is and go listen to your local daily Locked On podcast. All part of the Locked On podcast network.